You're listening to episode four of Sometimes On. It's a podcast when we feel like it. In this episode, we join Scott Donaton of Digitas Studios and Randall Rothenberg from the IB as they map out the path to brand salvation. Hi, I'm Scott Donaton. I'm the Chief Content Officer of Digitas LBI, and this is a special edition of our podcast with our guest, Randall Rothenberg, about the digital content new fronts. Uh, particularly relevant conversation between Digitas LBI and the IAB, which I'll circle back on. But first, let me introduce Randy to you. Randy is the president and CEO of the IAB, which is the U.S. Trade Association for Interactive Marketing, where for the last seven years, he has looked after the best interests of over 500 member companies, including such tiny little startups as Google, AOL, Yahoo, Microsoft, and Walt Disney Company. I've actually known Randy through multiple lives over multiple decades, which include uh, stints on his end as an editor and columnist for the New York Times, the head of intellectual capital at Booz Allen Hamilton, a columnist for Advertising Age, where I had the privilege of being his editor, and author of one of the best books ever written on the ad business, with also one of the best titles, Where the Suckers Moon. Randy, welcome. Thank you, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, and it's eight years at the IEB, and we're now more than 650 members. There you go. Look at that. Um, so eight years. Wow. Yeah. Who says I can't hold the job? <laughs> so let's start with the evolution of the digital content new front, since, uh, as I mentioned, Digitas, LBI, and the IAB are intimately and inextricably linked on this topic. Digitas founded the new fronts back in 2008. And four years ago, we, along with our founding partners, handed it off to the IAB to develop into a true marketplace for our industry. We're, of course, excited to remain a founding partner and presenter at the New Fronts. So, so Randy, this is the fourth year that IAB has managed the New Fronts. What have you seen in terms of the evolution and development of the marketplace in those four years? And what do you think is the biggest difference as we head into this year? Well, I, I think, Scott, that when we began together, uh, we had the idea that it would be a marketplace, but the reality was it was a, a bunch of presentations. It was kind of like a conference. It has evolved into a real marketplace where uh, buyers and sellers are coming together to uh, inspect a set of, of goods and uh, kind of look under the hood, knock them around a bit, uh, look, at the, uh, look at the usability statistics and, uh, and the ratings and determine, yeah, I think this is a deal I might want to do or maybe this is a deal I'll pass on for the time being. There was an idea to create a marketplace and it's happened. Although it doesn't look like the marketplace that might have been envisioned at the very beginning. So, so that's a good point because the new front name and the basic structure is modeled, whether we you know, say it or not, after the broadcast upfronts, which have been around for decades. And as a result, there are sometimes some less than favorable comparisons between the two. Um, having to deal with, I think, two things primarily. First is a criticism, which I confess I have leveled in the past when I was not part of Digitas. Yes, you did. That this new medium is copying a way of doing business, the upfronts, that appears anachronistic rather than pioneering a new approach. Uh, the second is that because digital is not a scarcity market as broadcast is, there's not the same leverage by the sellers to create an urgency to invest. Fair criticisms? 
Um, yes, until you learn more about what's actually happened, as you have, and as I did too, because uh, I first encountered the concept of an upfront marketplace for digital back in, oh my goodness, probably 2008, I think, when uh, Wanda Millard, who was then the head of uh, sales for Yahoo, was actually doing a big Yahoo upfront presentation, a couple years running, in a, uh, in a Broadway theater in New York, uh, doing it also on the West Coast, and uh, trying to get others involved in an upfront. And I remember having the conversation with her and saying, Wenda, you can't have an upfront marketplace without scarcity, and there is no scarcity in this world. So the concept just doesn't seem to work. And I'll tell you when I learned my lesson, and it'll lead into a more complicated explanation, but I learned the very simple response to that at the very first of the modern, you know, kind of the joint venture new fronts back three, four years ago. Uh, I was going overseas, so I only went to the very first one, which was Hulu. And what Hulu was presenting, I realized about two or three steps into their presentation is that everything that was being offered was being offered on a sole sponsorship basis. And I really did kind of like a smack upside the head. I said, oh, wait a minute. These things aren't really being offered to advertisers on kind of a run-of-show basis, a normal television basis. It's being offered on a, a wholesale, old-fashioned uh, sole sponsor basis. Well, obviously, anything that's being sold on sponsorship is by definition scarce. What, once it's bought, it's off the market. If you have a hit on your hands and you've managed to, and you're a marketer and you've pre-bought it because you had the, uh, the awareness of the perspicacity to, uh, to go in and do that deal, well, you own a very scarce and very valuable resource. It's scarce if you design the framework to create scarcity. And if you design the framework to not create scarcity, then it's not scarce. So it's an, is, it, is it an artificial scarcity then? And can't brands see through that and maintain leverage in the market? No more than if you're then, uh, uh, let's take any hit primetime show. And you say, okay, is that, scarce, is that artificial scarcity or not? There are 2,000 or 3,000 cable channels on the average digital cable system. So is any given primetime show uh, scarce or not? Well, viewed from the aggregate of all the hours of television programming that flows through those thousands and thousands and thousands of channels, no, it's not scarce. It's one of hundreds of thousands or millions of hours of programming. But any given slice of it can be very, very scarce depending upon the quality of the content, the audience you're going for, uh, the, uh, the quality of that audience, the match between those things. So what, what about this the, the idea of aping an existing way of doing business that was kind of uh, out of date anyway as opposed to helping to create a new way of doing business? Because now we also see everybody wants their something front. iHeartMedia is having a sound front next week. Hearst has been running a print new front. Um, there's a cable new front, the broadcast new, you know, uh, sorry, the cable up front, the broadcast up front, the digital new fronts. You know, shouldn't we be pioneering a new way of doing business as opposed to following a legacy model if indeed we're seeing the disruption we're seeing? Well, but wait a minute. You're, you're, you're making a presupposition. You're uh, presupposing that just because something has an old-fashioned name, 
It represents an old-fashioned way of doing business. I think there are two separate issues here. The one issue is did uh, Digitas, when it invented the word new front, uh, uh, do something that was old-fashioned? I would say no. I think Digitas did something that was genius. They picked kind of an old-fashioned sounding name to give a sense of comfort uh, to an industry or a set of industry segments that were in radical uh, transformation and said, hey, come pay attention to this. Come visit this, this presentation. So I think that was just- We're gonna define ourselves in contrast with the word new. Yeah, <laughs> and that's right. it. So I think it, it, if you called it something else, if, you, uh, if Digitas had come in and the founding partners had come in and called it you know, the digital freds, People would have said, well, okay, I don't need to go to the digital freds, but digital new fronts, that sounds interesting. I think I'll go to it. Now, the second part of the equation is, uh, did we mimic or are we mimicking something old-fashioned? And I think uh, the evidence is no. The big change has been digital media are not sold on a very, very narrow windowed basis. It is an annual rolling set of introductions of programming and programming types and advertising and advertising types. But the, the second part though, which is even more interesting, is that the rest of media is following along. Even the notion of television seasons has been going away for quite a long time. We're reinventing existing industries and existing industry segments, and we're reinventing uh, the processes by which they operated. So at what point in, in the marketplaces are we seeing artificial distinctions being drawn, right? I mean, at what point will we just see the digital video upfronts, new fronts, that will be a combination of what we now look at as the broadcast market, the cable market, the digital content market? Again, I, I think we're already seeing it. My instinct is to say that uh, a lot of that question is kind of based on uh, a, a journalistic controversy generation. That uh, journalists, you know, love a battle. Again, the reality is, if you look at the way the marketplace is developing, it is developing into kind of uh, a larger segmented glob of programs that are being developed, opportunities attached to those programs, and sales, uh, selling of those opportunities. Uh, and some of that selling takes place in a, uh, a concentrated period because it's easier, just simply physically easier for buyers to be able to do it that way. And some of it is being structured on a, on a very longer rolling basis. I mean, the cable upfronts start roughly in January, and they run roughly until September. Well, why? Why did that happen? Well, it was because there was an ever-increasing number of cable networks. You couldn't put all of them in a single one-week or two-week slot for presentations. Uh, there were lots of different kinds of buyers being attracted to cable television that were not traditional television advertisers. So already, 
between the broadcast upfronts and the cable upfronts, you had a major, major evolution in what a selling season was and what was being sold and how it was being sold. So digital is just coming in with the new fronts as a further evolution of that. So, so with the digital content new fronts, now this year, pretty much two full weeks of programming, uh, over 30 companies presenting. To your point, as with the cable universe, the universe of companies that are exploding in investing in original video content in the digital space. What happens to this marketplace eventually? Does, does it become more like the cable marketplace, if you will, then, than the broadcast model? That's kind of my guess. I mean, we've had this back and forth uh, among the founding partners about whether it should be limited to one week, whether it should be limited to two weeks, whether you should break open the boundaries. My belief is, is the demand, the demand for, by presenters, really legitimate, important, good, high-quality presenters to present just exceeds the boundaries of a week or two weeks. And so we ought to start planning to open it up. The founding partners have pretty much agreed, uh, despite my arguments, that, you know, it's a new medium. We're still establishing, you know, its viability, its legitimacy. We want a degree of uh, not quality control, but oversight. We also want to generate lots of excitement, and doing it in a concentrated period of time uh, generates that excitement. I don't honestly have a great counter-argument for that. I think it's been true, and we've seen it. So we've been limiting it to the two weeks. Also, it allows people to come in from out of town, and more and more are doing it. They're coming in from Chicago, they're coming in from LA, they're coming in from Atlanta. Um, and spend a couple days in New York uh, to see what they want to see and see it in a concentrated period of time and then go back. And that's also hard to argue it, with. It becomes, yeah. The convenience I, factor. I think especially for the, for the clients, for marketers, brand marketers themselves, as we know, a lot of these companies are not based in New York. A lot of these companies are based, whether it's New Jersey or Miami or Columbus, Ohio yeah. or Austin, Texas. I mean, marketers are spread all over the country. And so if you are the buying team at an agency like Digitas, you're based in New York, you have you know teams in other markets, but this can be an indefinite thing that spills its banks because the investment, you know, people at the agency are in New York and they can they can do this in New York almost any time. Yeah. I do think that clients in particular now love this thing, which and they will travel, which is the great thing for the new fronts, the same way they'll travel for the upfronts. And yeah. they do, you know, a lot of it's Getting them in for more than you know two or three days sometimes you know can be a challenge. So it has achieved that with them, and I do think that becomes the key thing if you want the brand marketers themselves in the room. Now, they, at a certain point, you could argue they don't need to be at every one of them. They need they need to understand and be convinced that that this is worth paying attention to. Well, that, well you know. this was part of the evolution. I mean, you know, the the first year, uh, the biggest criticism. Uh, that we learned from those surveys was, hey, you digital companies, you digital publishers, you're treating this as an end-all, be-all presentation. Get up, you make a presentation on a, a Wednesday at the end of April, and then you expect us to come in with our checkbooks and buy things. And hey, folks, that's not how it works. You've got to learn how to uh, pre-sell, set up meetings with our agencies uh, and with us, 
uh, beforehand, starting several months beforehand. And you have to learn how to post-sell and come around over the next couple months, you know, to help us understand how we can use the things that you're presenting, both the programs and uh, the forms of advertising uh, that you're pioneering. So there's been a big learning curve here. It's been a great period of time for agency-client uh, relationships, uh, for agency-client publisher relationships, for uh, agencies and marketers. I, I think it's been a net gain for everybody. So you talked earlier about um, you know, one of the things that convinced you of the, the different way to look at this as a scarcity market was this idea that a lot of the programs being offered were single sponsorship. You, you take it and it's off the market. Uh, which created obviously more urgency around certain things that people believed were going to be hits. For what I do as the head of the content operation here, a lot of what we do is a lot less about seeing the value and just sponsoring something that a publisher already wants to create. It has to do with how we co-create original things together that find the intersection between the brand's objectives and an audience's desire, needs. As that happens more and more, do you think that will impact presentations so that they will be less about a, a publisher presenting a slate of shows that they know that they want to make looking for sponsors and more about presenting capabilities on how they can work with brands to develop original programming? I think it's both and. I don't think it's either or. By implication, uh, in a New Fronts uh, presentation and in the pre-selling and in the post-selling, uh, marketers and agencies are learning about capabilities that they might be able to utilize in uh, customized uh, deal-making for, uh, for content creation. But I don't think, I mean, if the implication is, uh, will customized uh, uh, content replace the kind of news and entertainment programming we've been accustomed to over the decades on television? The answer is no. Uh, it, it won't. Really talented creators want to create what they want to create. Uh, so if you want access to the best talent, for the most part, not exclusively, but for the most part, that talent is going to want to do what it wants to do and you're going to have to be a participant in it. I think that we've also learned over the years that some really highly customized creative content works, but a lot of it just has way too many masters to be able to survive the competition with, uh, with totally talent-driven uh, entertainment and, um, and information and news. Another way to view it is, well, look at television today. There's more formats than you can shake a stick at. You know, there's reality programming, there's, uh, there's tabloid programming, there's you know, all kinds of things that come into existence. Uh, and that's what's happening now. We're seeing new forms and formats come into existence. There will be things that will be totally talent-driven. There will be things that will be totally you know, marketing, custom marketing-driven, and there will be hybrid forms in between. And as those new forms develop and as technology allows for new forms of storytelling, whether it's things like virtual reality or things like Meerkat and Periscope and live broadcasting, are all of those things going to find a home within the digital content new fronts, potentially? Mm, I mean, I can't. Well, all of them, no. 
some of them clearly are not going to, you know, make their way and kind of swim up the, uh, you know, the channel and leap over the dam with the most successful salmon. Uh, but many will. I couldn't predict who, you know, what new formats will or won't. All it takes is one hit to change everybody's mind. Right. You know, if it turns out that the uh, World of Warcraft finals on Twitch, you know, get together the equivalent of a, uh, a 20 primetime audience, 20 rating. All bets are off. Oh, man. Then we can shake more sticks at them. You can shake more sticks. I'm sure that coming out of this year's new front, there'll be something that will surprise you, which I'll have to circle back and ask you about after the fact, since hopefully you cannot predict a surprise. What surprised you coming out of last year's New Front? There's one big thing uh, that really leapt out at me. There were fully seven, eight, nine of the companies presenting that emphasized, as they're offering, uh, upscale lifestyle programming. I remember New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast, Mode Media, uh, I'm recalling scripts. I think even BuzzFeed was in there. There were a bunch, and you know, existing incumbent companies, uh, as well as digital native companies that were doing real upscale lifestyle programming. And my takeaway, my analysis was that they were going straight after the cable industry, that they had looked at cable TV and seen cable trending more and more downscale in its offerings, kind of, you know, Duck Dynasty, and concluding we have an opening here to, uh, to you know, gain real affinity, real ownership uh, of the uh, upscale demographics and creating programs that, uh, you know, didn't have full analogs on cable television. You know, for, obviously, upscale brands. So that I thought was very, very interesting, and I'm just you know, wondering whether we're going to see new demographic openings or psychodemographic openings in the offerings this year. So assuming that you and I both hold on to our jobs for another year, and we're sitting here a year from now having this conversation, what do you think you want to be saying about what happened at the 2015 Digital Content New Fronts and what you expect to be happening at the 2016 Market. Well, I mean, I, I have said, I said at the very beginning when IAB got involved with uh, uh, Digitas and with the other founding partners, I said, it only takes three hits to validate a medium. That's all it was going to take because, you know, people are going to turn around and say, oh, wait, people are actually watching this stuff. And we had our three hits. Uh, we have more than three hits now. Right? It, it's, you know, we had our House of Cards moment, and then we had our Orange is the New Black moment, and we had our um, uh, uh, trans moment, and now we're having our, uh, you know, uh, uh, indomitable Kimmy Schmidt moment. So the meeting, medium is established, and everybody's looking to buy into the next set of hits. I think that what I'm looking to see at the 2015 new front is more of these original content creators and networks 
coming out with more hits. I want to see uh, hits being hit programs being associated with more than just uh, Netflix and Amazon. That's what I'm expecting. And I think what I would really like to see, and this is kind of me speaking as a kind of a culture junkie uh, more than an industry person, I want to see more new ideas and more new formats and more kinds of creativity that attract people, human beings, men, women, children, in largest numbers that we haven't seen before. Uh, I think it's important to point out that that's happened before. This is what the cable industry did, that HBO over a very long period of time and then subsequently Showtime and AMC and others kind of came in and really invented new forms of television to create these, you know, cinematic, star-driven and character and plot-driven short-form series that didn't exist in the United States. You know, when we think of what The Sopranos did, uh, what The Wire did, I'm really looking forward to what the digital video iterations of those things are going to be. We know they're going to happen. We, they may even already be out there. I think that's what we, we should be on the lookout for. We've obviously seen in, in, the, in the digital video space a lot of new talents emerge, which I think is great, and hopefully we'll continue to see new talents emerge who will pioneer some of those forms of uh, programming. Uh, what does it mean to you that we now also have gotten rid of any sense that this is not a place where the A-list talents will play? Whether it's someone like Ron Howard doing everything from forming new form uh, with Discovery Communications as a digital production company to Ron Howard and Brian Grazer shooting documentaries for General Electric. Um, you know, we, we're definitely seeing now that A-list talent wants to play in this space as much as anybody. Is that a good thing? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a good thing, uh, but it should not distract from the other side of that coin. It is that we've now created an opportunity for more talent to surface. Uh, and that is potentially the most revolutionary aspect of this of all. Yes, it's true that talent is not democratically distributed, but there's a hell of a lot more of it out there than has been able to surface through the narrow window of broadcast and cable television. And that's going to be the threat. That talent is going to want more opportunity for creative expression than you're currently giving them. So they're going to migrate to this medium. And second, there are going to be lots and lots of men and women out there who are incredibly talented, who don't want to bother beating their heads against you know, the brick wall of the existing Hollywood you know, television uh, oligopoly. And don't need to. And don't need to. And they're going to start creating things for this medium. And they're going to attract an audience. I want to see us have some things that just haven't existed before that are a big wow. And I expect we will. The gauntlet has been thrown. We'll be looking for our big wow. Randall Rothenberg, thanks for joining us. A pleasure, sir. Interesting to think that Duck Dynasty could be partially responsible for anything besides squirrel skinning, let alone creating an in for premium content creators. This episode of Sometimes Odd was sponsored by our super friends and experts in content, the Collective Digital Studio and a Gawker. Head over to our YouTube page to see them in the New Front Revelations video series. And a big thanks to our production team, Chris, 
Barbara, Avi, Colin, and me, George Hammer. Till next time, see ya.